Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit FightRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is David L. Lieberman, and we'll be talking about his new book, Transcendental Judaism, Enlivening the Eternal Within to Uplift Ourselves and Our World. Through the meditative quieting of the mind, we can directly experience that still, small voice. It is the awesome voice of infinite intelligence that created and upholds our world with compassion and justice. When we completely, excuse me, when we repeatedly experience it, we enliven its qualities into our lives. We walk in God's ways. When we do so, we uplift not only ourselves, but the world around us. David Lieberman was raised in a Reformed Jewish household and began to immerse himself in the in Torah in 20, excuse me, 2003. He trained as a spiritual director, someone who accompanies others on their spiritual journey. David started his career as an elementary school teacher and was a management consultant for 35 years. Thus, he has successfully he has a successful track record of introducing new concepts to a wide range of audiences clearly and concisely. For more information, you can visit valleybaitmidrash.org. And that's valley, B-E-I-T, M-I-D-R-A-S-H dot org. And with that, I'd like to welcome David to the show. Good day, David. Hi, Robert. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to talking with you and learning um, about Transcendental Judaism and you know, I am not a Jewish person, so I have very limited knowledge of the the, the Jewish uh, tradition. So I'm really looking forward to being enlightened. <laughs> uh, so uh, okay. let's first. Uh, one, start one, one thing I, I, one, I'm, I'm sorry, Robert. Valley Beit Midrash is a not-for-profit Jewish organization. Uh, that I am the, on the board of directors of. Uh, and I just wanted to make, clarify that, uh, because I also have a website about my book, which is called transcendentaljudaism.com. So I do invite you to visit both transcendentaljudaism.com and the not-for-profit that I'm very supportive of, which we can also talk about, Valley Bait Me Drive. Oh, great. Well, I'm glad that you clarified that. I, I don't at the moment, but by the time our show gets uh, finished and uploaded, I'm going to make sure to add that uh, transcendentaljudaism.com website. So if we can reference both of those. Thanks. 
Okay, so let's start with the idea of, first of all, transcendental Judaism. Can you tell us um, <laughs> what, what is that all about? Yes. Well, historically, uh, Judaism has been viewed uh, as a continuum of, continuum over the last three, 4,000 years. Uh, in the first several thousand years, uh, when there was still a temple in Jerusalem, that period was referred to as Biblical Judaism. Uh, and in that era, Jews became closer to God through the practice of the commandments in the Torah, which we can talk about. The Hebrew word for commandments is mitzvot. And they performed animal sacrifices. Those were some of the mitzvot. However, uh, at the time that the Second Temple was destroyed in the year 70, the Jews were not able to practice animal sacrifices anymore. They could perform the other commandments, but not the animal sacrifices. And Jewish life changed pretty significantly, and we entered into an era that we're currently in called Rabbinic Judaism. And in Rabbinic Judaism, uh, again, we follow the commandments, uh, but Primarily, the, many, for many, the commandments uh, are around uh, prayer and study and repentance and gifts of charity, as well as the performance of the other needs folk. And performing the commandments brings us closer to God. That's, those are uh, traditional Jewish teachings. I'm suggesting that we could be entering a new era that we could call Transcendental Judaism. And what that is, is a, a way to connect with God very sublimely through the meditative quieting of the mind, which will give us a palpable and meaningful connection with God, along with the performance of the other folk as traditionally practiced. But it's a enough of a quantum difference or a quantum leap in the way that we connect with God, similar to the difference between stopping animal sacrifices and focusing on prayer instead, that I'm characterizing it as potentially another major era in Judaism. So that's what Transcendental Judaism is. It's the practice of the traditional commandments. In addition to that, the connection, the sublime connection at a, at a different level, at a mystical level, through the meditative quieting of the mind. Wow. You know, the, the, the idea of um, mindfulness, meditation, um, as a method of connection, you know, has gained a lot of um, acceptance or, or, you know, a, a lot more visibility you know, in, in today's world. And it seems that um, by including that or having that be a part of the practice, that it would um, open up um, the – open up to a, a lot wider audience, I guess, you know, for people like me, you know, mm -hmm. who maybe aren't mm -hmm. Jewish. Um, but, you know, do have a meditative practice and am very, you know, um, 
uh, interested in making sure that I live a life, you know, that is uh, fruitful and productive and, and positive. Um, so, you know, um, so, I mean, it would seem that that would be a, a way to broaden uh, the knowledge, I guess. Of, would you say that that would be the case? Yes, I would agree with that completely. Um, when, when we talk about uh, performing the commandments as a way of getting close to God, traditionally in Judaism, we interpret the commandments or connect with the commandments at multiple levels. Uh, we connect at, at sort of the most basic um, um, uh, literal or simple level, in Hebrew, we use the word pshat, but that just means the simple, literal level of the commandment. The next level that we tend to connect with the mitzvot, we call uh, remez, which just means uh, a hint, a sense, a feeling, uh, an allusion to the mitzvah. It, it's at a subtler level. And the third level that traditionally we connect with the mitzvot is at the level that we call drash, which is more of an intellectual level where we tell a story, we make a teaching about the commandment, and we understand it at that level. And there's also, a, traditionally, over the millennia, there's a fourth level that we say we connect with God, and that is at the mystical level. In Hebrew, we say sod. And so it's all about uh, connecting with God through the mitzvot, through the commandments. Uh, but as you said... Robert, we're broadening, and now we're opening up the possibility that more of us can connect at the level of Sod, the mystical level. Uh, and uh, I think that can be very, very beneficial and meaningful to many Jews uh, who may see themselves as spiritual but not religious. Uh, in other words, maybe some of the practices of the commandments uh, at the other levels uh, don't seem to grab them, maybe. They're not as meaningful to them. Uh, uh, but connecting spiritually to the mystical level is still connecting through the mitzvot, uh, and it may be an option uh, that other people can really grab onto and find meaningful. And even those who practice the mitzvot, uh, the commandments, in the traditional fashion, it's, this is not a mutually exclusive set of activities. Uh, again, we're broadening, we're adding to, you don't need to eliminate anything to add anything new. Yeah, yeah, and that can, because I, I think, you know, just in many religions, uh, you know, that there is a, there is a, um, a sense of, of people wanting to, to have that connection with, you know, with God, with, with source, or however one wants to frame it. Um, and that the, um, many times the, some of the, um, traditions, you know, just don't resonate, you know, and that, um, I, I, I mean, I was raised Catholic, <laughs> so I, I was, you know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of practices, you know, in Catholicism that I just, you know, um, 
I see. I don't feel connected to. So you know, but yet there are many, um, you know, many types of, of activities that I think that that do you know stimulate my desire for that connection, for that godly connection. So you know, I, I, and I think there, you know, there's a there's a um, I mean, it's, it's obviously a very personal kind of connection <laughs> that one has. So, I mean, it, you know, so it's, I, I think that, that it's um, good, you know, to provide uh, a um, a way for people to be able to um, channel, you know, their desire, you know, into building a stronger connection. Yes. Yes. In Judaism, in Judaism, we say that everyone can have their own personal connection with God. It, it, it doesn't need to be mediated through, uh, uh, through the synagogue or through the rabbi or, you know, or anything like that. Uh, we have a long history of saying that we all have the ability to make our own personal connections with God and, uh, this I hope uh, is a way of furthering uh, that teaching and offering uh, that sense of awe uh, to others who may not have found it uh, elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, what prompted you to, to write this book? Well, that's a really good question, Robert. Um, I, I, I will. I will try to tell this story pretty succinctly, uh, but it's a little bit fun to get into a couple of details. Uh, but I'm going to start uh, with my first experience of transcendence, uh, which was uh, remarkable. Uh, it occurred 48 years ago when I started practicing meditation which I have been doing regularly over the last 48 years. Uh, and it served as the basis for the writing of the book, although, of course, at the time, I didn't know it. I haven't been writing this book for 48 years. Uh, but when I first learned to meditate, and I, I even remember the day, and I write this in the introduction to the book, uh, it was back in 1975, and I had I had learned the, the meditation. I had practiced it for a short period of time, and then the meditation teacher said to me, "You know, okay, you're done. You know, just sit quietly, and then we'll talk about it." And at that time, I realized that there was this immense calm that had settled over me, a peacefulness that I had never experienced before. I realized that I hadn't been engaged in the outside world. In other words, all of a sudden I started hearing things again, which I was not listening to. I was not hearing while I was meditating. In other words, there were no thoughts. There was no connection with the outside world. I was having what I call a transcendental experience. And as soon as I stopped meditating, and my mind engaged again in thoughts, this is the thought I had. 
the birds in the trees and the cars on the highway are singing the song of life together in perfect harmony and the world is unfolding just as it should be. Mm. Now, that took, that took my breath away. And what, mm. you know, what that meant to me, and I came to learn as I studied, you know, more over the years, that this idea of the birds in the trees and the cars in the highway singing the song of life together in perfect harmony, that is bringing the sense of the oneness of the universe to my direct experience. By the birds yeah. and the cars singing the song of life in perfect harmony, the, the deep, deep oneness of the transcendent was already having an effect on the way that I listened to or viewed the world. And I thought, this this is amazing. So that, that experience, of course, is unusual. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That, that is, is, you know, very, I mean, because you're talking about two very distinctly different sounds. You know, I mean, and, and I mean, the idea right. of birds in a tree and cars on the road. I mean. Not very many people would be able to pull those together as part of perfect harmony. Exactly. And the point behind it is they were not pulled together at the level of the bird or the highway. They were pulled together at the deeper level that connects us and them all. So, anyway, after, uh, you know, after that experience, of course, I continue to, you know, to meditate regularly <laughs> and, uh, you know, did so for, you know, dozens of years. And, um, and I was not, I was, I was brought up in a, in a reform, I think you mentioned in a reform Jewish household, mm -hmm. meaning we were not, um, traditionally observant of the commandments. Uh, in our household, uh, for example, on Sabbath, which you know, traditionally is a day of rest where we don't work, we, you know, we don't light, you know, in, in the old days, light fires, which, you know, in <coughs> modern times means we don't use electricity and, and uh, you know, all these things. We didn't do that. We just went around our regular business uh, on, on Sabbath. And, and um and although I did have a Jewish education, it was not that deep or comprehensive. But um, in the year 2003, again, you mentioned this in the um, introduction, I started to study Torah. Uh, now, how old am I in 2003? I'm, uh, I'm 50 years old uh, that year. <laughs> and why did I start to do that? Well... Uh, you, you may remember, I'm sure you remember, of course, the big, uh, you know, 9-11, the, the uh, tragedy of, of the airplanes on September 11, 2001. 
Uh, and that caused the economy to go into a gigantic slump. Uh, and um, I, I was working as a management consultant for a firm. I'd been with that firm for 20 years. Uh, but then after about a year or so, a year, year and a half, even after the uh, uh, the economy, you know, never recovered, I, I got laid off. And, I, and there I was without a job, I, you know, watching two kids and, um, you know, was sort of flailing around for a while trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And um, my wife is getting a little bit, you know, uh, aggravated with me for not getting my act <laughs> together, which I grant her, you know, was, was a fair reaction. Uh, and but she'd been talking to friends. And anyway, uh, she, she had some friends who had moved down to Mexico and lived there for a little while. She said, let's take the kids and move to Mexico for a little while. Let's go down there for a year. I said, are you kidding? Well, I don't want to do that. I've never thought of moving to Mexico. And so, of course, she twisted my arm and had me talk to people. And she and I did a due diligence trip down there for a week uh, while you know, one, uh, one of the grandmothers came to watch the kids. And you know what? Sure enough, we said, let's do this. Because I had nothing better to offer. And she had her own uh, uh, job where she was uh, – a consultant uh, on, uh, you know, computer consultant. So she, she could do whatever she wanted in terms of ramping the business up or slowing it down for a while. So so we went down to Mexico. We landed in a little city called San Miguel de Allende, which is in the middle of Mexico. And it's a beautiful town uh, which uh, has a long history of visitors to the United States. It's a very artistic town, a musical town, a very spiritual town. Um, and uh, we landed down there, and sure enough, there's a synagogue in the small town of San Miguel de Allende in Mexico. And I didn't have anything to do down there other than, you know, shop and take care of the kids and, you know, stuff like that. You know, shop for food and, you know, make food, take care of the house and the kids. And so I started studying Spanish, and I started studying Torah. I went to the synagogue. And um, I became intrigued uh, with Judaism in a way that I never had before, uh, reading Torah every week and studying and things like that. And that got me started. And then fast forward, uh, we, we come back to the U.S. after a couple of years. I find another consulting job in my field, and I continue to study Torah. Uh, I take other courses. Um, which I won't go into all of them, but you alluded to the fact that I took a multi-year course to become a spiritual director, which means somebody who can accompany others on their own spiritual journeys. And one day, and again, this is a number of years later, maybe 10 years even later after 2003, I'm, I'm studying Torah at the synagogue or by myself or with a friend or something, and all of a sudden, Robert, the words of Torah started to jump off the page at me. They became alive. I, I really felt the depth and the vibrancy of the teachings of Torah. And I thought, what's going on here? Um, the, the, these words are touching me at a very deep level. And I had a sense Somehow, I had a sense somehow 
that my continued practice of meditation, the practice of transcending, again, going deep beyond thoughts and emotions, just sitting in the quiet of that still small voice, that phrase for those who don't recognize it is from First Kings, Elijah hears the still small voice of God after all the thunder and rain and, you know, uh, um, earthquakes and everything up on the mountaintop. Where Elijah hears God's voice is in the quiet. And I had a sense that my experience of this quiet, uh, which uh, a 20th century very famous Jewish activist and uh, philosopher, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, he called it he called it a universal stillness. He found that quiet voice, and he says that the uh, that, that that the pious person. Uh, is pulled towards a universal stillness. And by gosh, I, I fortunately had had those experiences. And I thought, what's the relationship between this transcendence, this universal stillness? Is there such a thing? Because I first experienced it through a secular meditation practice. Then I started mm-hmm. studying Judaism separately but it really was more of an intellectual exercise to me. And then one day, they came together. And I thought, what is this all about? I need to learn more about that. And that's the long answer, Robert, to your question of what caused me to write this book. The bringing together of, of, of my experience of, of the still small voice and the words in Torah, uh, what's the history? Is there, is there some relationship here? Uh, what's the history here? Uh, what can I learn about it? And, and after I got started, of course, then the question was, you know, perhaps, perhaps I can teach some others about it as well. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, now, you know, we've, we've, you've talked about Torah. What, what is Torah? Sorry, I mean, but it's, well, real basic, can you explain yeah. Torah? Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, which mm-hmm. Christians often refer to as the Old Testament, um, Jews just refer to it as the Bible or the Hebrew Bible, um, the Bible is made up of, uh, you know, several, you know, major, uh, major sections. Uh, it's made up of Torah, which I'm going to get into in a minute, uh, and it's made up of prophets, and it's made up of writings. So there's various, you know, books in the Bible. Now, Torah are the first five books, and many, many people will recognize these, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's Torah. So those five books of the Hebrew Bible taken together are referred to as Torah. Okay. That was okay. as simple as that. Now, having spoken very simply, uh, I'll confuse everybody just a little bit, uh, just to say <laughs> that sometimes 
the word Torah uh, is used more as a term of art and refers to the entire uh, Bible. In other words, the writings of the prophets, um, you know, and you know who the prophets are, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, Joshua and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and then the writings, you know, the writings are the books of the Hebrew Bible that are, you know, the Proverbs and the Psalms and um, Ecclesiastes and, you know, other books. Again, people, some people will recognize these. So sometimes Torah is used as a work of art to mean the entire Hebrew Bible. But technically, Torah means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Great. Well, now I know. I mean, I've heard the term, you know, but I've never yeah. had yeah. a chance to ask. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And, and Torah, are, are, you know, Torah is the are, are the books in the Bible that I can probably go out on a limb and say sort of closest to the hearts of, of the Jewish people, because we have a practice in Judaism where we read the Torah, and as many people will recognize. It was originally written on a scroll, and in many synagogues, you know, practically every synagogue has a scroll of Torah. Um, mm -hmm. And we read Torah over and over again. And every year, we read the, uh, throughout the year, we read the Torah from beginning to end, and then we unroll the Torah the other way, we roll it back, and we start over and read it again the next year. So Torah is very close to us uh, because we have the tradition of studying it, unpacking it, reinterpreting it, arguing about it, uh, and <laughs> learning it uh, year after year and continuing to keep it relevant to our lives. So that's, that's a little bit more about Torah. Okay. Well, great. Well, we're about halfway through the show, David, so I want to take just a quick break, and then I want to continue on our discussion, okay? Okay. Okay, great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. 
Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is David L. Lieberman, and we're talking about his new book, Transcendental Judaism, Enlivening the Eternal Within to Uplift Ourselves and Our World. And again, you can find out more about the book by visiting the website, transcendentaljudaism.com, and you can also learn more about the organization of which David is a, um, a member, and that's valleybaitmidrash.org. Okay, so that we're back, David? I'm here. Great. And by the way, congratulations. I noticed on Amazon that your book was published on there as of yesterday. So this is brand new. You're right. You know, Robert, you're, you are the first person I'm speaking to. <laughs> Boy, I am honored, <laughs> really. I just I like to be right there when it happens, so this is great. You're right there when it happens. Great. Well, wonderful. Well, okay, so now that um, I know what Torah is, um, the, I, I've heard about Kabbalah. Um, so can yeah. you tell us, like you did with Torah, tell us what Kabbalah is? Okay. Well, Kabbalah uh, is uh, a term that uh, signifies uh, a mystical interpretation of Judaism. In fact, the Kabbalah is a mystical commentary on the Torah. And the Kabbalah uh, is work that was written in, in medieval times. Um, although some say it was written by, you know, earlier, maybe in the second century, uh, but it is the, uh, it, uh, well, I'm, 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 uh, mixing up my terms here. Kabbalah, uh, is, is not a book that was written. Kabbalah just refers to Jewish mysticism. But the major book, uh, about Kabbalah, uh, is called the Zohar. And the Zohar is the mystical commentary on the Torah, uh, again, written uh, in uh, medieval times, although some say earlier. And uh, it uses terms, uh, some of which are not in Torah, uh, but they... But the teachings in Kabbalah and in Torah are not as different as many people sometimes think they are. Sometimes, you know, people study Torah, again, as I said, year after year, uh, but not so many people study, study the Zohar or other books about mysticism, again, altogether, which are referred to uh, as mystical Judaism, Kabbalah. Uh, but Kabbalah teaches, just as Torah teaches, that everything in the universe is created from nothingness. In other words, God created the world from nothing. Uh, that's in the traditional Torah teachings. Uh, you know, if you read Genesis 1-1, you know, in the beginning, God, you know, God created 
Um, and Zohar teaches the same thing. Uh, but Zohar introduces some additional uh, commentary or teachings about that beginning. And, and Zohar uh, introduces a term called the Ein Sof. That's the Hebrew two words that mean without end. And the Ein Sof is introduced uh, by, uh, by Zohar and Kabbalah as, as the place of nothingness, sometimes we say no-thingness, from which everything emanates. And the, the aim self uh, has no qualities. It's everything um, packed together, sort of like, it's not a, a great analogy, but like a seed. Everything is contained in the seed, but nothing is in the seed. So, Aim self has the qualities of infinite intelligence. Uh, infinite possibilities can arise from it, uh, but it is pre-manifestation. It's, it's pre-existence. Yes. Uh, and Kabbalah teaches that through ten of God's emanations, and God said, and God said, ten qualities arose from the aim self and those qualities form all of the manifest world. And those qualities are referred to as, uh, as the spherot. Uh, it just means levels or qualities or it takes on different, different meanings. But through a sort of popping out, you could almost say the Big Bang, popping out of, of the nothingness of the own self is, uh, are these qualities that then result in the manifestation of the world. And the reason that I'm presenting this teaching in this way is because through the meditative quieting of the mind, we can let our minds touch the Ein Sof. And now I'm bringing the theology uh, of Judaism, of mystical Judaism, the teaching that I was talking about earlier in the show. So, uh, there's a uh, very famous 20th century uh, uh, Jewish um, Kabbalist uh, and uh, uh, academic named Gershom Sholem. And Gershom Sholem gave a very nice analogy. Uh, he said, if you could view the universe as a tree, in other words, the universe of things that we see all around as a tree, uh, then you could view the Ein Sof as the sap of the tree. Hmm. If you think about that for a minute, all the different things we see around us, the branches, the fruit, the leaves, of course, you know, again, this is if the universe is a tree, right? But the book in front of me, my computer, the trash can over here, every different thing, 
if we view the world, the universe, as all these different things on the outside, the Ain Sof is the sap of the tree. So it's the essence of everything. It's the oneness, the single essence of everything. And we are used to looking outward. We look out and see a tree, a branch, a thorn, a flower, a fruit, and we think they're different. And at one level, mm -hmm. they are different, Robert. But at another level, if we could train ourselves or let ourselves facilitate the ability through the meditative quieting of the mind to let the mind calm, we can begin to let the attention go inward and experience the sap. And when we do that, we are experiencing its qualities, infinite intelligence, infinite creativity, infinite possibilities. And so the repeated experience, uh, the unification with God, uh, I use that term because it's one of the, in English, it's one of the meditative techniques that the sages used uh you know, 500 years ago, um, you know, to try to align their minds with God, to unify with the infinity of God, what, because they thought when we when they do that, they will absorb some of the some of God's infinite qualities, and in fact, uh, that is the basis for um, you know m much of the teaching. Uh, in my book, that we're not, you know, we're not med meditating, I mean, you know, just to sit for 20 minutes, but if we're meditating mm -hmm. using a technique, using a technique that facilitates the quieting of the mind and the transcendence to that sense of complete peace, no thought, again, because transcending is going beyond. We're transcending thoughts. Uh, emotions, when we can sit in that state, uh, we begin to absorb it in our lives. And when we act then, we sort of have that broader vision, that infinite wisdom. We bring a little bit of that back into our lives after that. And um, Torah teaches us that when we follow God's commandments, in other words, when we connect with God at what, whatever level, good things will happen to us. Uh, and again, some that have read the Hebrew Bible, you know, will recognize in Deuteronomy, you know, all the curses that God says will happen to us if we don't connect with God and follow the commandments. And so this connecting with God is a, is a very Jewish lesson, uh, with repercussions. Uh, and so, uh, our, our ability to make that very deep, deep connection, uh, it turns out to be very beneficial for us. And I have a chapter in the book where I talk about scientific, uh, uh, experiments repeated over 50 years, uh, that demonstrate that the repeated experience of transcending is very beneficial to us at the physical level, at the psychological level, uh, even at the group level. So I'm tying the the theology of 
uh, of the Ain Sof and the ability to touch the Ain Sof uh, back to the promises in Torah uh, about what happens when we do connect with God and uh, how much better our lives could be. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, you know, I, I can, I followed that, you know, but you threw in the, the curses aspect there of, of, one, of if one does not follow the commandments. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, I, you know, um, Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, it's, I, I can understand in one sense that, you know, first of all, I, the, I can understand the benefits of that connection with, with God or yourself, you know, or, yeah. you know, and, and how that can, um, and, you know, and I can understand if one doesn't um, take advantage of that connection that, you know, challenges and, and, Trials, you know, can can happen. Or I mean, you know, or or um, that can be experienced, you know, with difficulty. So, is, yeah. is that you know, when one doesn't follow? I mean, tell, tell me a little bit more about that, because you know, I just you, you, um, you, just, you, just, you just did a great job up at Robert. You did you did, you explained it beautifully. Uh, you know, it's it's not a it's not curses where you know. God is sitting up in heaven and throwing lightning bolts down, you know, on us. It's, 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 it's just, will life go smoother? Uh, um, you know, will, 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 will we feel sort of a connection with everything around us? Uh, uh, you know, will, will we find that, that we're more uplifted? Uh, you know, will, will we maybe move to a point where, you know, again, we see the, we, we have a real experience of the interconnectedness of us all. And mm-hmm. how might that change our lives for the better? And and if we don't see that, then is, is, might that not cause us to stumble a little bit more and be at odds with more people and unnecessarily and things like that? So that, that, that's really all it is. And, and, and I can illustrate this with, with one little example. Uh, and I talked about this in the book. When I started meditating back in 1975, I, I did so regularly, meditated every day. Uh, and then one day, I thought, you know, things are going so more smoothly with me in my life. Uh, I, it's hard to put my finger on it, but, but um, you know, if I want to get something done, it just sort of falls into place a little bit easier. And, and I just said to myself, you know, I wonder if I could save some time here and not meditate. And, and so I stopped meditating. Uh, one day, and I didn't really think anything of it. Yeah, I continued to go to work and come home and everything like that. A week later, I came home, I flopped down on the couch, I sort of put my hands on my head, and I said, oh, my gosh, everything seems to be an effort. Uh, I'm working harder. I'm accomplishing less. Um, what's going on here? What, you know, what am I doing wrong? And then, of course, all of a sudden it dawned on me. I had stopped meditating for a week. And the lesson to me was um, the practice of connecting with the infinite intelligence of the universe on a regular basis 
somehow, at a very subtle level, actually helps constructively guide me through life. And if I don't, then and I trip up a little bit more. And it's mm-hmm. more of a pain in the neck. So that's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. Okay, well, that, you know, I, I can understand that, you know, and um, I'm glad that we went to that clarification because, you know, um, and, and the idea of, you know, the, that, you know, having a meditative practice, you know, um, can, you know, a regular meditative practice can strengthen that connection and, you know, and make life flow smoother, you know, is, is something that um, I think a, a lot of people um, might find, you know, that their, their use of time could be better spent doing something else when, in fact, that um, by doing that, you know, you actually save time. You know, and actually yeah. angst and grief and anxiety and a lot of other things that go along with, with that lack right. of connection. Right. Right. Now, Robert, I'd like to, if I may, take a minute and possibly step on a couple of toes here. Uh, but I feel that I'm going to do it. And because, um, you know, what, what I'm talking about here, the type of meditation that I'm talking about here is a type of meditation that involves, that facilitates transcendence, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that complete letting go, uh, su- such that, you know, we're not thinking, uh, uh, we're not feeling, we have that sense of calm coming over us. And there are other types of meditations as well. And you mentioned, when I mentioned the word meditation, at one point you, you, you said the word mindfulness. And there is a mindful, there are, there's, there's a type of meditation called mindfulness, which also has benefits, but it's not the type of meditation I'm talking about. Because mindfulness meditation, you're not necessarily letting go. You're, you're sitting, you're, at first you're focusing on your breathing, uh, thoughts will arise, feelings will arise, you may take note of them, uh, you may notice that a certain thought triggers you, Oh, okay, that's interesting. Maybe I can improve my life by being aware of that. Then you let it go. And, and so this mindfulness can be beneficial in terms of how we live our lives and being aware of, you know, things that bother us and, you know, perhaps we can be more calm about them. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm not an expert at this, but I know that there are many benefits to mindfulness meditation. But, I'm not talking about mindfulness here. I'm talking about a transcending type of meditation. And there's another type of meditation also that provides nice benefits. There's what's called the concentration or focus meditation, where if you believe that you may want to enliven a certain quality in your life, like gratefulness or compassion, some people sit. And they think about, they contemplate, you know, a certain quality and try to make it grow stronger in their lives. And that, that will happen. Uh, and there are benefits to that. Uh, but again, that's a different, different meditations have different benefits. And so I just wanted to clarify, uh, that point, uh, just because you had mentioned mindfulness and, 
And, mm-hmm. um, you know, different meditations have different types of benefits. Right. I agree. And, and I'm glad that you yeah. made that clarification, you know, because, um, you know, there, there are different – one may want to achieve different things, you know, through various practices. So now in your right. book, right. Um, you have you – have, tell us a little bit about the, the content of the book, you know, with text, history, practices. What kinds of things are included in your book? Well, I start out uh, the book just by describing what transcendental – Judaism is, and, and I describe that to you, and then I recount mm-hmm. uh, the quest, uh, I call chapter two, the quest for the transcendent in Jewish texts. So I, I, I talk about that, the, that looking for that transcendent, looking past the material world to God, past our emotions and our intellect, uh, there's a deep, deep and rich history of that. So I wanted to document that in the book. Then I talk about uh, connecting with God to Jewish history because, again, the point here is that we want to connect with God. We, we do so, again, traditionally in Judaism by following the commandments, the mitzvot. But I'm introducing here the concept that we do that. Um, we can do that more uh, readily maybe now at the, at the mystical level, the level of Sod, um, uh, in addition to the other levels that I described earlier, the, you know, the plain level, Pshat, and Remez, the allegorical level, and Drash, the, the level of, uh, of story and intellect. And so I, I just talk about, uh, you know, different ways of connecting with God o- o- over the years. And, um, and then I get into an overview of Jewish meditations. Uh, and, I'm, and I alluded to one, uh, again, uh, 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 which um, uh, is referred to as Yehudin in Hebrew, which means unifications. Again, where we're trying to let our mind unify with God's mind, which means that we want to let go of everything else uh, and, and, and the stages uh, in the... Uh, you know, 16th century uh, in Israel had a number of different meditation techniques that they used, and I go go through and introduce a number of those in the book. Uh, and then uh, I talk about the effects of connection with the transcendent. So, uh, you know, some of the scientific uh, research that's been found to be helpful at, at all levels, uh, again, um, for the individual, and as I say in the subtitle of my book, that we can uplift not only ourselves but our world. So there are, there are societal benefits uh, as well. Uh, and then I talk about the concept of uh, transcendental Judaism in, uh, and its implications for the Messianic age. Now, as, as I believe you're probably aware, and many listeners are aware, that the Jews believe that the Messiah has not yet arrived. And um, so the Jews are still awaiting the Messiah. And I talk about, well, is there any connection between this ability to really have this deep, sublime, mystical connection with God and then the good things that come out of that? Might that help us 
move the world towards a better place uh, and help uh, bring the Messiah uh, to us sooner? Well, I don't know if it will or not. <laughs> it might. There may, there may be the possibility of it. But I talk about that sort of as a, as a wrap-up uh, in the book because I think the implications uh, that have been shown are very, very powerful of the effects of being able to have this direct mystical connection with God uh, and us able to absorb God's will, so to speak, um, through that experience, and then that will change our actions, that will help us view the world as one, it will help us uh, live balanced lives and uh, move our society forward. Wow, that is that's wonderful. Thank you for that that recap. I mean, it really kind of is a good roadmap of what the reader can expect um, from your book. So, well, I really thank you for your time today, David. This has really been enlightening. <laughs> you know, it's been educational, and, and uh, I really want to thank you for taking the time to share with us. Of course, I really enjoyed it. And I thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome, and good luck on the book. And again, just just published and available at Amazon, so people can go and check it out and, and buy it right now. So, all right, Robert, thank you, and right. thanks to the listeners for listening. Great, you're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been David L. Lieberman. We've been talking about his new book, Transcendental Judaism, Enlightening the Eternal Within to Uplift Ourselves and Our World. And again, you can find out more by visiting the website, transcendentaljudaism.com. And you can also find out more about the not-for-profit organization of which David is a um, director or member, um, and that is valleybaitmidrash.org. Um, and that's valley, B-E-I-T-M-I-D-R-A-S-H.org. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again... Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Bite Radio Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.